Aloha, Maui Nui. Hey, this is Josh Porter. Wow, that was loud, Josh. This is Jason <laughs> How are you doing? And who are you over there? <laughs> it's Jason. Huh? Pardon? We got Jason Vericardi coming in here as well. Uh, hey, folks, this is the Solar Coaster. Welcome. Uh, this is uh, episode number, what are we, 71 here, Jay. This is uh, DJ Alamayu with Samuel yep. Engineering. And uh, he's a good friend. It's going to be exciting. Longtime friend of yours. I'd never met the man, but uh, really, really fascinating conversation because he is deep in kind of the the larger scale side of solar and renewable energy rollout type of stuff uh, and has some really interesting opinions <laughs> about where it's all going to. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Big background in in, uh, in in the utility space and in engineering in general all around the world. Heck of an international businessman. And uh, yeah, insightful guy that knows how to kind of uh, kind of frame stuff. So really excited to uh, to air this uh, interview with with DJ. Um, and yeah, it should be a great show. So we're episode number seventy one here. We're only a couple of episodes away from uh, our SBI show, which is exciting too. So we're going to jump into That's this right. right away. We got a, a long interview, so we're going to jump into it and go through housekeeping quickly. So hey, folks, we are the Solar Coaster Renewable Energy Theme Talk Show right here in lovely Maui County. We can be found Fridays at one hundred five p.m. on Kaoi eleven ten a.m. We have some FM stations as well. 90 96.7 FM Central Maui, 96.5 FM Westside, 98.7 FM Upcountry. Got a great website. Yep, www.solar-coaster.com. That's solar-coaster.com. Uh, you can listen live from there. You can go in, see all the uh, the new photos that we've been pushing up, all the stuff that we've been doing over the last year and a half. Uh, and, of course, stream all our old shows, which is actually really fantastic. If you're interested in a particular facet of solar technology, like you're looking into getting a solar battery for your home or talking about EVs, you can go and find all the old shows that we actually talked about that stuff. You can also go down to the bottom of the page, uh, fill out for our mailing list and uh, submit questions right there on the page. We're also available on podcast platforms if podcasts are your uh, preferred message of method of audio consumption method. <laughs> uh, iTunes, Stitcher, and TuneIn are all up and running. Uh, we're still waiting for the Spotify ah, notification. Yeah. If, you're on, if, if, you're on, if you're on Spotify and you found us, please let me know because I don't. <laughs> I haven't seen it yet. Yeah. Hey, we got some great sponsors that keep the solar coaster on on air. Maui Solar Project, Tabuchi Electric America, Sonin Battery, Pika Energy, and Sundrum Solar. Uh, so thank you so much, uh, sponsors, for helping the solar coaster do its thing. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you, sponsors. We're going to run right into news and events now. we got some great stuff going on in the world. Jay, you want to start out with what's happening in the globe? Uh, sure. Let's talk about Europe for just a second. Solar records broken all through throughout Europe over this summer. Uh, I mean, they had a huge heat wave. If you weren't paying attention to the news, they, they were just dry and hot and oppressive, and it was it was a real problem for a lot of folks. But the interesting thing is they had a huge, um, they, they had solar pick up a lot of the heavy lifting for all the air conditioners that everybody turned on. Uh, really interesting conversation because 2017, they grew 28.4% in, in generation point four percent more gen more generation from some more 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 gener more gener more generation they list they list a um a figure here 533 gigawatt hours of energy now if you remember a gigawatt is is like the capacity of your average like nuclear power plant so um 533 gigawatt hours that's that's a that, that's basically a nuclear power plant reactor output mm. for 22 full days mm -hmm. 22 wow. days um <laughs> <laughs> uh, and, and, and the interesting bit about this is that um, the actual, the, like the traditional coal and nuclear plants, because of the water problem, because of the demand for water, um, they actually weren't able, they, these, these are plants that they basically burn coal, right, um, boil water, and then use the steam to turn the turbines. And the nuclear reactor actually runs the same way, where they heat up water, it probably goes through a heat exchanger, I certainly hope so, and then the steam um, is, is again used to turn turbines, that's, that's how it works. So they are actually not able to get enough water to satisfy the demand for these coal and nuclear reactors, and the solar picked up the slack, which is really, really cool. Um, they're down to an all-time low, though, of uh, five cents per kilowatt hour of electricity. So that's remarkable. I, when I, this is the part that we highlighted, right? It's like the there's not enough water to, or, or there's a shortage of water, and so these thermal these nuclear plants that are typically the firm that you get, uh, they're actually intermittent. They're the intermittent problem right now, and solar happened to fill in some of the gaps, which, <laughs> which is usually which is the opposite, kind of right? So that's right. pretty. The solar is intermittent because of clouds, etc. <laughs> and solar, like we'll take over the nuclear for you, right? So that's pretty. That's pretty uh, yeah. exciting kind of change there. Excellent, nice stuff. Yeah, so. Good stuff. 
What's going on nationally? We have uh, th that article was, by the way, at Green Tech Media. This next article as well is at Green Tech Media, and they're talking yeah. about um, you know it says utility solar procurement booms as residential market stabilizes in Q2 in 2018. So yeah, I mean basically uh, you know we see here that uh, the, the the Trump tariffs they have affected uh, the the industry. You know we, we had an overall contraction from the previous year in 2017, 2016, 2017 was like a, a significant contraction, um, but things are stabilizing now and we're seeing some kind of you know better future. I mean, actually, Abigail Ross Hopper from SIA says, the data shows that the tariffs have dampened solar's growth as previously announced projects were canceled or, or delayed due to the tariffs. Uh, but yet this report also reveals the solar industry is simply too strong to be kept down. Procurement numbers show that solar is poised for substantial growth uh, in the future. So um, we got some kind of like, you know, positive news here, Jay. Yeah, absolutely. And hindsight is like 2020, but it makes perfect sense looking at this. We, we, if you remember last year, we were at the trade shows and that was all anybody wanted to talk to. Are they going to tariff? How much is it going to be? Oh my God, the sky is falling, right? Mm. <laughs> Seriously, that kind of, that kind of mindset. Um, but these guys that are in major um, construction of large scale solar installations, I mean, they're not easily shaken. Otherwise they would be in a different industry. Um, so that, so they, they took a step back, you know, they waited to see what the actual numbers were coming down from the federal government. Um, they rejigger the numbers and, uh, and can figure out a way to make it work. So once the, it was basically that waiting game, they couldn't, they didn't, couldn't act because they didn't know what the numbers were going to be. Once, mm. once we knew what the tariff look was, structure was actually going to look like they can make, pro they can make progress. Absolutely. Yeah. And, we're, and then in the overall year, it says total installed US PV capacity is expected to more than double over the next five years. By 2023, we see over 14 gigawatts of PV capacity will be installed annually. So, uh, you know, the long term uh, prospects are very positive. That's the bottom line. Yeah. Okay, so 14, we, 14 nuclear power plants worth of solar energy <laughs> every year, every year. So <laughs> every, how about every year? <laughs> how about Hawaii? There's definitely this article was the one that we kind of knew was going to turn into a show in and of yeah. itself. Right. This is this is this is going to turn into a show. Trust us. Um, this isn't specific to Hawaii, but it's because we're so ahead of the game. This is um, it's as as rooftop solar expands, states grapple with successor to net metering. So that means a lot of states are actually still doing net metering programs. And if you don't know what what is net metering for folks that uh, don't know. Yeah, net metering just basically is a one-to-one -one, um, trans uh, trade or relationship between you, what you export to the grid, you get uh, the full retail rate, and when you buy, you get the, you pay for the full retail rate. So it's the same; it doesn't change, right? That's net metering. Right, right. Yeah, so basically, you're, you're getting as much money for the electricity you export as you what you would pay for importing uh, into your home. And it tends to be uh, like a, so like an early level uh, policy when you when when solar starts, right? It's something to right. encourage what are, what are, solar. Yeah, what did what did they call it in here? It was a uh, rough justice policy. Yeah, it was a great <laughs> term, rough justice. I, was like, I, lo hmm. I, I love that. Um, but it's it's it makes sense that it would just be to kind of start the conversation. Is that they don't have any solar on the grid, nobody's really ready to take that risk. It makes solar really attractive when you can basically bring your bill, electricity bill, down to nothing. It makes your your return on investment very easy, right? Uh, and that's the conversation you, we were having back in in two thousand nine through to two thousand. 15, mm -hmm. <laughs> essentially. Um, but then you get to a point where there is a lot of solar on a grid, solar adoption on a grid. And there's a worry that because all these solar customers are not paying pretty much anything. I mean, if you right size your solar, you basically balance out. Um, so you, you, you're importing and exporting the same amount of electricity. Uh, but that means you're not paying anything, basically. I mean, there's a, there's a connection charge, but it's minimum minimal connection fee. Yeah. Minimum, minimum. It's like it used to be eighteen dollars. I think it's now up to nineteen and something with the taxes and edits. But um, it's very small. And if you think about all the wires, all the lines across the entire county, the entire state, the entire country, um, wherever these utilities operate, they're maintaining all this stuff. They roll all these trucks. I mean, how much does this cost to to actually keep these things going? And if you're not paying for it, who is? So yeah, yeah. that's it's it's basically that you're you're pushing off your cost to be connected to the grid to other ratepayers, and that that is considered unfair. That's a, that's a discussion. That's a, that's an opinion or like a a, a a way of looking at it. I mean, it's uh, it's actually sure, you know sure. kind of a bit uh, controversial, right? There are some yeah, it is. Oh, it is absolutely absolutely. Um, so utilities are saying the policy allows customers to reduce their bills too much. Um, they want to be able to do something else, and there's a, the, the article goes into a lot of detail on what other states have done case study for Hawaii is we just kind of start our, our, our smart export and, um, they had California have you even in installed there. 
Yeah, have you even started a small ex smart export system yet? Have you, you ever know, been able to? It was to file funny one? when they when they described smart export. It's almost like they were talking about CSS. But you know, you know, the smart export in and of itself, just the battery program. No, we haven't installed that. Um, yeah, yeah, I haven't CSS installed CSS systems as as we have, right? I, did, I, didn't, I, didn't, I didn't think so. The CSS is going out there. CSS is actually on consumer self-supply, um, basically meaning that you supply yourself. And, and it makes a whole lot of sense that you don't export anything. But if you have solar and storage on premises on your, at your house, you have a solar and a battery, <coughs> you will use your battery over the evening and recharge it with your solar through the day. <coughs> Pardon me. So you really you're not you're not draining anything. But again, you really only have this connection charge and it's there for an emergency. Um, there there was a huge article in here about um, the was it the National Association of Regulatory Utility Commissioners actually has a manual for distributed energy resources rate design. Hmm. And it's a hundred. I haven't finished this document, but it's fantastic. I would recommend anybody who has an interest to go and read this. It's specifically for utility commissioners. Oh, wow. so I'm sure like the P P the PUC folks of stuff have read it, but it's, but it's 181 pages. I have not gotten through it yet, but it's unbelievably detailed. It was actually written a couple of years ago. Mm -hmm. Um, but I, but I, it, it started me thinking and, and it's the long-term vision. You know, I'm going to go a bit futurist in, right now, but, okay. um, looking, looking, I, I kind of see two paths. And one is that this is kind of going to be like a hiccup in the grand scheme of things. And that once terrestrial fusion generation and stuff like that becomes viable, we'll revert to centralized generation. Mm -hmm. But the other the other more interesting kind of path is that we all get some kind of generation and batteries in our homes, like a refrigerator. You know, it's just an appliance. And that would that provides a lot of stability. I mean, when we see these hurricanes that keep coming in and, and battering battering our islands, battering other islands, battering the mainland. Um, it's, it's going to become, I guess it depends if you value that type of security, because you can literally go, you can island yourself from the grid. The grid provides tremendous stability. Uh, we can sell, buy and sell energy out to the, the, the overall marketplace. But if you have to cut the wire or a tree cuts the wire, mother nature cuts the wire for you, you're still safe. Mm. In to that, me, it looks like both. Kind of it's really consecutive. I mean, you, you have and the... You have the, the distributed, you know, generation with solar and, you know, and, and then you have storage, uh, you know, in homes. And because of, you know, terrestrial fusion, did you call it, was, uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's a great term, is what, yep. is 20 years out or who knows what, right? So but in the meantime, more. <clears throat> more, okay. So in the meantime, we, uh, <laughs> we are going to be uh, definitely deploying a boatload of batteries and solar, you know, and, and people are, especially when it comes to all these uh, extreme weather events, they want the ancillary benefit of, of battery backup when the grid goes down. So yeah. it seems like it's going to be but both, then there's, you know? there's but then, the, but then we have a problem again. Who's maintaining that grid? Because if I'm not paying for it, you're not paying for it, and everybody has a re an appliance in their house because it, it has become an appliance. Mm. Who pays for the grid? So that I, I, what I see is that flat rate, just that grid connection charge, kind of going up. Ah, <laughs> uh, okay, okay, okay. That's an interesting theory there. But that's, but that's, a, but that's a really long-term view. I don't know. <laughs> well, uh, one of the nice pieces of this here was that uh, they they went through a couple of different case studies of these post-NEM environments. I think one was California, one was Hawaii, another one might have been Nevada, and uh, and this fellow was his name uh, Pace Rabago. Pace Rabago. Rabago. He uh, says that yep. his bet is on the uh, the Hawaii model. So it seems like he, from his perspective, a guy that's been watching us for a long time, we're doing things uh, correctly out here and very uh, kind of progressively. So that's kind of cool it's 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 relatively simple I, I, I like that he bet it bet on Hawaii as well um, but it's relatively simple to understand people understand how they can get their money back on their investment and and it still it, it still kind of pushes that that solar plus storage model they want it they want you to be able to manage your energy and as an added bonus you do get that safety aspect absolutely hey um, we're gonna get to our commercial break in one second but I want to let everybody know that SPI is coming up only uh, about two weeks away we've got interviews with what some is of SPI the SPI solar power international largest trade show <laughs> in North America 20,000 heads 20,000 players out there in Anaheim California solar coaster is doing a live radio show live radio taping I should say uh, Wednesday at 26 4 30 to 5 30 we'll be airing it on the 28th our usual time at 105 p.m hawaii time uh and you'll hear yep. all so for all you folks out here in maui you can tune in and find out the within only 48 hours of taping the uh, all the highlights of what's happening in the renewable energy industry from spi international so Sounds um, like a plan. okay let's go into our commercial break we'll come right back with dj alamayu of samuel engineering a brilliant brilliant great friend of ours aloha and welcome to maui solar project it is easy to feel rejuvenated just stepping outside on a magnificent Hawaiian day. 
Maui Solar Project is here to help harness that energy you feel in your body and use it to power your homes and businesses. As Laura tells us, Maui harnessed the sun so as to slow its path across the sky. Join Maui Solar Project as we harness the sun's energy and slow Hawaii's dependence on fossil fuels. Call Maui Solar Project at 269-2352. MauiSolarProject.org. Tsubuchi Electric, a leading worldwide inverter manufacturer, presents the second generation of the eco-intelligent battery system, the IBIS. Tsubuchi's grid-friendly system includes a high-efficiency inverter, stackable batteries, and integration with Jelly software for the most adaptable battery storage system on the market. The system is optimized for energy management and cost performance. Maximize your solar investment with Tsubuchi's electric eco-intelligent battery system. The Sonin Battery Eco is an energy storage solution that utilizes intelligent energy management software. The system is available in a variety of storage capacities and allows for expansion. Sonin Battery Eco allows you to save money by harvesting energy from your solar PV system and using that stored energy when rates are more expensive. Sonin Battery Eco is specifically designed to provide you and your family peace of mind in the event of power outage. Our unique power detection system will sense outages in real time and automatically switch over to battery power. See Sonin Battery Eco at sonin-battery.com. MIT-founded Pika Energy, makers of the Pika Energy Island, a smart energy management system that uses solar panels, lithium batteries, and intelligence to manage your energy and keep you powered even during outages. With a clean, intelligent alternative to grid power, you're in control of your energy future. Pika's Energy Island lets you manage electrical costs with HECO-ready self-supply functions. Pika's largest battery, the Harbor Plus, offers 16 kilowatt hours of stored energy and can power loads of up to 10 kilowatts. And if you need more capacity, just add a second or even third Harbor Smart battery to the same system for a maximum of 48 kilowatt hours of usable storage. Pika Energy, own your power. To learn more, visit pika-energy.com. Sundrum Solar is the manufacturer of a revolutionary thermal collector that fits on the underside of your standard PV panel to maximize energy capture per square foot. The Sundrum Solar Hybrid PVT system combined photovoltaic and thermal holds the world record for peak efficiency, capturing an astounding 86% usable energy. Learn how Sundrum Solar vastly improves electric, heating, and cooling economics at sundrumsolar.com. So here we are, folks, back from our commercial run right there. We had our wonderful sponsors. Thank you, sponsors, uh, thank for keeping you. us on the tracks. Yeah. We kind of have a really special guest here today, and this is our good friend, DJ. I'm going to have a rough time pronouncing your name even after five years. Alamayo. I know. Alamayo. Yeah, yeah. So, DJ, now you have wear a couple different hats, right? Yeah. You work with uh, Samuel Engineering. That's right. And, but are you still uh, CEO of a couple other companies, or what are you up to? No, actually, most of that stuff we've kind of merged under uh, Samuel Engineering and we're kind of running those as separate uh, ventures under mm -hmm. Samuel Engineering. So they may have different names uh, and separate LLC set up of their different special purpose entities. But yeah, it's all consolidated under Samuel Engineering right now. Gotcha, gotcha. Yeah, yeah. And the reason I, I asked you to come on board the solar coaster is because for me, as a solar guy, when we met five, six, seven years ago, whatever it was, and did some solar farms together, you know, it was really inspiring. I learned a lot from you. And, you know, I know that you've got a pretty broad vision on the energy space throughout the world. So it's a nice opportunity to kind of connect. Sure. Let our listeners see kind of how things operate at that level. You know? Sure. So maybe we can learn a little bit from you on it. Yeah, here thank today. you for having me on the show. Yeah, yeah, yeah it's really exciting. So let, why don't we just go right from the start. So like, can you give us a, a little bit of information about your company, your background, where you're from, what you do, how you got into the role you're in? Okay, uh, so without taking too much time, uh, I'm originally from Ethiopia, went to school in Germany, uh, and then came over here as part of an ABB contingent that was basically trying to expand into the U.S. market through through acquisition of companies, and so I was transferred over to the U.S. This was in the um, late 80s, uh, early 90s, and then from there, pretty much kind of moved into the utility space, so worked with... Uh, all, uh, every major utility uh, here in the U.S. in the mainland, and, um, and, and in, in those roles, um, you know, they, uh, was exposed to different strategic planning on the utility side, whether it was on the distribution level, the generation level, or transmission level, and then move, uh, looking at valuation of assets and, um, and moving into the space of uh, uh, free markets uh, in energy. And um, so I was fortunate enough to be involved in all of those. And then from there, kind of started you know, consulting business that uh, kind of helped uh, break in into the 
deregulation of a lot of these uh, on the supply side, on the generation supply side, uh, in working with the regulatory agencies and trying to make that happen and setting some guidelines um, first at the federal level and then moving into the local states at the PUC level. Uh, and then kind of moved that as a business unit into Samuel Engineering and that's where we uh, kind of got involved in the solar. So I was fortunate enough to actually be involved or be there when the solar industry, the renewables side kind of took off. So now so, it all makes sense. Yeah, yeah. So when that's, we, that's when, when I walk into the utility yeah, with you and you're yeah. like, well, I understand yeah, this machine yeah, pretty yeah, well. Yeah, it's because yeah, you've been there, yeah, right? Exactly, been there. I didn't realize that. We never actually yeah. had that conversation yeah, before, yeah, yeah. right? So that's, that's how that all, yeah. Oh, interesting. So, okay. That's all I'll, that's how it connects, basically. Got it, yeah, got yeah, it, got yeah, it. Yeah. And so, uh, of course, we uh, met probably about five or six years ago. When, when we were doing this, we did some solar farms together, that's right? right. So that was probably five years ago. I think it was 2013. 13. Yeah, 13, yeah. yeah, so it's five years ago. Right, yeah. and then put yeah. together some 250 kW yes. solar uh, yeah. feed-in tariffs, right? Yep. I guess yep. that's right. Uh, and that was a good experience. And over uh, during that period, we were also kind of looking at the... During that period, we were also kind of looking at what was happening in the changes of the solar industry. And we had some really great conversations early on. Yeah. Right? I remember sitting in a balcony with you at the West Inn or right. even yeah. in, a, in, in a walk. Yeah. Yeah. And then just talking about kind of how storage assets could begin to be deployed, how uh, how that could be monitored, what kind of software might be involved in that. Jay's going to find this going to be a pretty interesting conversation probably. Yeah. And kind of theorizing kind of, you know, about this new world that was about to emerge. Uh, and then since then, it's kind of started to take shape. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. That's no, interesting. I think, you're right. That was... Uh, Probably four years ago, we were sitting there, and I, and I remember, actually, now that you mentioned it, I remember we were pontificating, right? And we were looking at, uh, you know, worst-case scenarios. You know, what would be the worst-case scenario for this industry? Because it was booming, you know, everybody was making money on solar. Right, and, the NEM world. Right? Yeah, it's like, yeah, exactly, and, you know, life at that point. NEM goes away. That's right, that's right, that's right. You know, and life had taught us, at that point at least, and even more since then, that whatever goes up comes down, right? And yeah, uh, and yeah. the, the state of euphoria and uh, you know and abundant money and, and champagne and caviar in the solar world was wasn't gonna last, right? Yeah. So if it fell, how was it gonna fall? And then um, and could it really come back up again? And if it did come back up again, you know how would it? You know, what, kind of, what kind of form is that going to exactly. take? Exactly, what right? kind of form is it going to take? So it was that kind of pontification that we were doing. I remember yeah. on the beach there. And, uh, yeah, it was actually, um, you know, I was in a euphoric state of mind because I was just dreaming, right? And uh, there was no responsibility, uh, you yeah. know, for uh, there was no accountability for dreams, right? right? You can dream all you want. Right. And so we, we had the, the optimal, and we were thinking, man, it would be great if that happened. Right. And then we were also thinking about the non, not so much optimal, and then we were thinking, oops, we don't want that, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so, yeah, but uh, we do. And I, and I think it, it kind of focused around uh, the role of the utility, um, you know, and, and, and how was the utility going to be placed in the middle of this conversation? That's right, that's uh, right, yeah. And, um, you know, is the utility an entity that can actually be marginalized or not, right? I think... That, that was sort of the, the discussion that we were having. Right, yeah. and, and how would they play a role in owning renewable energy assets? That's right. That's right. How would they play a role in perhaps you know, uh, contracting certain people to build those assets or own those assets or maybe lease those assets? That's I right. mean, that was part of the conversation. Since then, and we also came up with some really interesting conversation points on energy and how it could be monitored and controlled because That's you're right. looking at uh, what do you call it, DER, or distri right. uh, demand, demand yeah, distributed energy, distributed yeah, energy, energy resources, yeah, resources yeah. and um, demand response, DER, right, right, and these kinds of things. So since then, we've started to hear words like blockchain in the energy industry. I think the, way, the language we were using back then was uh, the operating system of energy. That's right. right? So there's That's a whole right. software conversation, a technical conversation, and then there's a utility kind of business conversation That's right. that we were having. And since then, I'm seeing kind of evidence, like seeing it play out now, where uh, both on the business side, we're seeing with the utilities interacting with different companies. Uh, there's discussions about, for example, uh, uh, aggregators coming in deploying you know solar and storage assets even at the residential level in thousands of homes across you know uh, the islands that's and right. then using that as a distributed resource that's right right 
demand resource. Yeah. Uh, so these things are starting to play out. And we're kind of starting to see that our, that conversation kind of come pieces of it come through and become yeah. reality or yeah. potentially become reality. Yeah. No, it's interesting. You know, when we uh, when we were uh, talking then, and I think it's still it's still germane today, right? And it still applies today. You know, the uh, the whole idea of focusing on software um, is is a mistake, right? Because software without really hard assets to manage, software is really a management application, right? And it's it's an efficiency platform. Uh, and if if it doesn't really have hard assets or humans, right, to manage or behaviors to manage, it's very. Uh, I mean, software just by itself. Is really you can't monetize, yeah, you know that that output, right? So uh, we were talking about then, uh, you know, what kind of hard assets and what kind of um, uh, behaviors are actually going to be uh, manipulated or controlled or uh, aggregated or whatever, you know, whatever the, uh, the objective is. But at the end of the day, it's, it's a, a more efficient way of monetizing either the hard assets or people's behaviors, right? On energy usage, or um, you know, the preference in buying and uh, and consuming, right? So, uh, so we were looking at those in two different buckets, and I think when we were uh, having that discussion, uh, I think the the thought process was really uh, what's there now in terms of hard assets and what exists today in terms of behaviors, uh, and, you know, consumer behaviors, right, on the energy side. And then what kind of software exists today to manage those? And then as that behavior and those hard assets change from centralized generation systems like these coal plants or big diesel you know, facilities that you have like for here in Mali, for example, as they change to more distributed format, as those assets change, behaviors change as well. And, and so how does the software platform need to change to be able to actually harness you know, the efficiencies that could be harnessed, right? Or eliminate the inefficiencies that exist in both the hard assets, the generation mm -hmm. as, as well as the behaviors, right? So how do you change those? So that was, uh, and I think, uh, you know, anybody that has uh, some kind of vision towards the future in terms of how to play in this market and uh, figure out how to monetize it and be successful financially uh, as a business, it has to look at those two together. Um, and uh, looking at, I mean, separately, but then also together, right? So the solution that somebody, anybody should be involved in is really a combined solution, right? It should have some kind of a strategic um, uh, alliance with one of those two buckets, but then focus on a delivery mechanism just on one. Or it could be, you know, you have a delivery mechanism, focus on delivery mechanism on both those buckets. When you say then, buckets, you mean software and... And then, of course, the, the hard, assets hard assets as well as the as the human behavior, right? The, the human consumer behavior, behavior and hard assets. That's right, that's right. Gotcha. So, so you, it has to be some kind of a joint approach there. The strategy cannot be siloed into either just software or just the hard assets piece. I think technology and artificial intelligence, as it uh, you know, uh, continues to permeate the uh, the way we do work and the way we live, that's going to force that convergence. Uh, in a, and uh, you know, when we were talking back in 2013, we never really characterized what we were talking about as artificial intelligence and, and that kind of platform, right? But that's really what it was. We were looking at how you actually take those behaviors, how you change. Uh, the behaviors of those consumers through either marketing or education. So creating... Or even forced, right? Right. Even so creating forced. like uh, tariffs that would incentivize exactly. consumption it, right? of energy at exactly. certain times versus other times exactly. to kind of change the You the pay five times as much if you use it here and you only pay this much if you use it here. And yeah. that's a forced try, behavior, right? So for example, we're talking about plugging in EVs a whole lot because these are massive storage devices that everybody's going to have in a few years. Yes. Um, so you're talking about plugging in an EV at a particular time of day. Now you can force it with a monetary policy, or you can do it technologically. Exactly. Where you're talking about software that will that knows that it's not supposed to charge until uh, like midday, so we can right. maximize our our solar production and store that. That's right. And that type of, that type of software. But those where does that software exist? Is it is it utility size? Because because that sounds like a home product. That in that particular example, that sounds like a home product. Well, you know there are several projects that are going on in California now where the electric vehicle charging platforms are causing enough fluctuation in the grid demand uh, to, where they now have to control that right um, so it's uh, it's a um, it's a problem that's not you know perceived to 
you know, sort of appear sometime in the future, it actually exists uh, today. Uh, Northern California a lot, and in uh, Orange County. I mean, there are some clusters, uh, low clusters that are actually now presenting some issues on demand side, especially you know when you look at your duct curve and so on, where people are plugging in electric vehicles, and, and the behaviors there always people are plugging in uh, once they get home. Right, uh, because uh, when they're out during the day, nobody thinks about plugging in because you, you know it, it's a, exactly, and, and the behavior is the same, right? You get your gas at nighttime or you have, before you go out and commute in the morning, sure. or you get it when you first start commuting in the morning. Nobody actually looks at getting gas during the day. California already has great exactly. uh, scales. Oh, it's, it's, it's uh, so you force that be, you know you force that change in behavior, right? right. So well, uh, is, is it being successful? Is kind of the question. Like, so it's, it's it's out there. The problem exists. And we know about it, but I don't. Th I don't think it's well enough understood yet to see how effective the policy is versus no, it's, technological. Exactly, and so it's it's really the it's it's how fast it scales, right? Sure. Uh, in terms of the awareness, the, so that's now we're talking about customer behavior, right? The, yeah. basically the, the consumer behavior. Yeah. Um, you know, the, the trend that we see is uh, the learning curve is pretty steep uh, in terms of uh, adaptation, right? The uh, adaptation curve is pretty steep now. People are learning things a lot faster. Social media is now very, 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 very effective. You can get uh, a lot of data out there, a lot of um, uh, communication out there, directly targeted, right, that people can consume and and um, and understand, and then and change behaviors accordingly. Right? For, for example, this radio—it wasn't show. there five years ago. <laughs> exactly, this radio show, right? Right. right. So th that wasn't available when we were talking. I mean, 2013, that hadn't really reached that level of penetration, right? Right. But we've seen Facebook and all these social media platforms have exponential growth. We never anticipated then. I think then when we were talking. You know, back in 2013, five years ago, I don't think Facebook had more than 200 million users, right? Yeah, MySpace. <laughs> exactly, it was MySpace. Exactly, exactly. So, so all of these things have to be incorporated into the strategy. But I think at the end of the day, that's really where it's moving. And I think, um, uh, you know, going back to again five years ago when we were talking on the beach in Kanapali. The utility actually also understands that, right? And I think the utility's goal, the utility's fear uh, that were almost real five years ago was the utility being marginalized, right? All these changes happening around the utility, uh, there were 40-year-olds and 40-somethings in these decision-making roles, uh, whether it was the federal government at FERC or whether it was PUCs. There was this young group that was coming in that are basically now making decisions based on metrics versus bricks and mortar mm -hmm. type of evaluation, right? So it's just metrics, 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 right? Data mining and so on. So decisions were being made based on that and, and trends, you know, this whole idea of trending, right? The data analysis. Um, Again, artificial intelligence, right? Yeah. That's all data analysis, yeah. right? So all of that, now it's moving decision makers to basically rely more on that than experience, right? So they, there was a tremendous fear within the utilities about being marginalized, that they couldn't really change fast enough to be part of this change, right? And I wonder if, if that was, in your opinion, a part of that acquisition attempt for Nextair that came in saying, well, these guys have the muscle to handle this. That's right. As opposed to, well, how are we going to manage this? Well, it's, a, it's, it's not just muscle. I think it's basically creating an orga organizations within the utilities that were younger in age, right? So, mm -hmm. And had the latitude. Right? They were basically unshackled from the regular and the uh, and the stakeholder review process. So they created these um, the utilities created these uh, what they call unregulated arms that could basically go out there and compete with anybody out there mm -hmm. in terms of you know looking at business opportunities, developing strategies. Right. That's why we have these different LLCs that exactly. are actually owned by the utility exactly. that are doing exactly. Exactly. renewable energy projects. Exactly. exactly. So so even this Nextera group that you're dealing with now here in in Hawaii or that you were dealing with a few years ago, but I think they're still around. Yeah, they're those guys are not part of Florida. Light and power per se, right? The floors we have Florida Light and Power, which is a regulated entity that stays in Florida. Uh -huh. uh, you know, the, the the bureaucrats and the technocrats are all there. The paper pushers are all there, right? Nextera is an uh, is an affiliate. Of, of, of the corporate uh, body, mm -hmm. uh, and it's it doesn't have those shackles, right? It's it's really uh, very it's uh, very competitive, very aggressive, very well funded, you know, by the parent company, very well funded you know, by utility parent company organization that's out there and is able to acquire assets, um, you know, get the loans, you know, have liquidity behind it. 
because it's a utility behind it, right? It's the biggest utility in, in the southeast, right, for the power line. Mm -hmm. So um, that's a formidable force. But you don't just have that with an Xterra type. You know, you have that with pg &E, you've got that with Southern Cal Edison, you've got that with Con Edison in New York. I mean, all of these entities have created these unregulated arms that are participating in the competitive markets. And Hawaiian Electric has done this, or HEI, the holdings exactly. company, has done the same here the same in the state thing, of Hawaii. Exactly. exactly. Right. So, so the, the, the utility space is interesting. Again, I mean, I may have a little bit of knowledge <laughs> in that just because you know, I've been bruised by you know the whole experience there. Uh, good bruises and bad bruises, like anywhere else. But you know, it's 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 a it's a lot of um, uh, it's it, that you see a lot of you know we'll let one 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 utility do do it, and if it if it works, we're there, right? I mean, we're, they just take that that particular template. That blueprint, and they adopted, right? Right. Case in point, latest is net metering 2.0 of this time of use. California did it, and then within a year, it was 32 utilities that have basically adopted it, right? Or had basically some kind of paperwork at the PUC, right, mm. to basically allow uh, this type of metering. So it's not like every utility has got to go through the same uh, growing uh, pains that uh, you know PG&E or San Diego has Electric or Southern Cal, Cal Edison did in California with time of use. They'll take whatever template works and then work there, and then they'll just adopt it. Right? So when we talk about templates, uh, you know, in, in some sense, in, in, in some uh, ways, look looking at things, Hawaii's a bit forward-looking, we're kind of early level on the adoption of renewable energies, okay. early level on a lot of different technologies, and kind of utility programs too. We have, uh, you know, at this moment, uh, past NEM, we have uh, the consumer grid supply, we have consumer self-supply, we have uh, smart export, we have uh, NEM, uh, NEM Plus, I think it's going to be a NEM expansion NEM program, expansion and then uh, we also have, uh, I think it's a signed bill from the governor to allow for integrated battery backup to all 60,000 net metering systems across the state without ITR, without initial technical review from the utilities. So these are a lot of interesting things that are happening in this space. Do you see what's happening out here as being a little bit ahead of the mainland? Do you think that the mainland utilities might adopt these things? Um, or do you see it as being very different, it, it, unique it, it, to the islands? It, it's, I think it's unique. Hawaii's also always been unique. Uh, because again, the, the islands are all, uh, again, when you say Hawaii, every island within the state of Hawaii is different. Kauai's different, the way it's set up, and Maui's different, and obviously, Oahu is different and the Big Island is different, right? So the load structure as well as the supply and the distribution network, that's, it's all, they're all different. And that's why you have these different utilities, right? You know, in Kauai, it's all co-ops, right? So I think it's, it's important to, to note that. And the, when, and the different programs that you're talking about are probably more applicable to these different um, load clusters or, or service centers than they are across the board. So, they may, so in Maui, you may not be able to use a lot of these programs. It may not be applicable. They're difficult to actually make business sense out of them, uh, out of a few of them, you know, to the, the consumer. Mm -hmm. It may not apply, right? So, uh, so Hawaii in that sense is unique. And then I think that the other big differentiator in Hawaii, it's an islanded system, right? It's very islanded, and you don't really have the grid interconnections and the ability to import power over you know, an, uh, an interconnected transmission network like you have in the mainland. So uh, that by itself makes it uh, uh, drastically different, yep. right? So I, I think there's a lot of lessons that could be learned from, uh, from Hawaii, but we don't really see, uh, like we haven't seen in the past, where Hawaii actually drives a national trend. Uh, what we've seen is mostly California, uh, New Jersey, New York drive national trends uh, more than Hawaii does. Right, both on like the legislation side as well as the utility side. Exactly. So, like as exactly. an example, right now you have in in California have that mandate for new builds to require right. PV on homes, right. Right? That's right? Do we see that kind of a trend maybe emerging throughout the country? Yes, yeah, and uh, you'll see that uh, happen uh, in a very, very uh, quickly. I think uh, that's just. I mean, I'm I'm no. Uh, I'm no fortune teller, right? right. But uh, but I but I but I could I, I would bet that that yeah. was that would be adopted very very quickly. You know, I found really interesting about a conversation I had with uh, one of the inverter manufacturers when that happened. They took their existing inverter, which was maybe let's call it a seven or eight kilowatt inverter, and then they downgraded it or they reprogrammed it to a to a three kW yeah. in order to make it less expensive and for so there was like a, a small yeah. solar system that could be applied yeah. to every new build, so yeah. the builders could actually put in small systems, yeah. but then they could be expanded for a fee, yeah. and it was like a no-cost upgrade. They got this plan. It's just the firmware. Yeah. yeah. Right? And that was really interesting, uh, yeah. these kinds of things are starting to happen. So, you no, know, it's interesting. There's that, and also, 
there are uh, some other issues that drove this particular legislation, right? And and one of the main ones is that um, you know, the, the maturity of the money that's followed the renewable industry really hasn't reached the level that we expected it to reach. You know, for an industry that's probably about 15 years old, right? I mean, um, the money is really not mature money, right? I mean, the, the banks are not fully in. Uh, and they're not fully out, still. right? Uh, still, right? And and you know we have some macro, maybe microfinancing, probably still, um, maybe limited macro, but very. I mean, mo most cases it's microfinancing that's available, right? This we're talking move, like institutional money versus institutional money. It's, yeah. it's it's really mature money, right? I mean, that's driven out of hedge funds and so on, right? The big the, the big money, right? right. And that's not there, um, and right. and because it isn't there, it's very difficult to uh, you know launch a real uh, uh, generalized you know legislative uh, structure. It's very difficult because you can't get the Congress, you can't get you know. The you know, just to, to, your, to your point, to, to your point, we had on. Um, a, a VP of, I can't remember his name, but from Dividend Solar. Remember, and he, he, he called him the, what he called him the bull, and he was so chuffed by that. He yeah. loved it, right? Yeah. And he's a money man in Wall Street or in, in California. And he was talking about the, he had, they had just publicized Dividend Solar, the first, was it double A rated or triple A rated bond? Is that what they were able to achieve? I'm not really that acquainted with this language. Yeah, yeah. But so they were, it, yeah. it hadn't reached that level until just a few exactly. months, like six months ago or exactly. something. Yeah. That We've got to get into time. the bond markets. We've got to get into, you know, more of the uh, long-term, you know, uh, bills, you know, treasury bills and so on. I think you have to get into that. And that's really what shows the maturity, right, of, of a certain industry. So, in order to be, in order for renewable energy to be where uh, telecom is now, for example, uh, I mean, it, it just—if you look, if you track where telecom, especially the wireless space, you track exactly the development of that space and the rate at which what I call structured money, or wise money, intelligent money actually came in, if you actually track that against where the renewables is, it's actually non-comparable. I mean, there is no intelligent money behind, in my opinion, you know, behind renewable energy. And that's made it very difficult to launch a nationwide platform uh, in terms of regulatory uh, paperwork. or you know, and, and when you go to Congress or when you go on the legislative side, it just isn't there. If you took ITCs away right now, the money would just basically dry up on renewables right now. That's that's how, still in its infancy stage. Right. Uh, and with ITCs, just for the sake of our listeners, we mean the uh, federal investment tax that's credit, federal investment tax credits, or even in the incentives, even at the local level, whatever right. incentives there are. If you took those incentives away and you basically said, okay, now Stay renewables really have to compete with LNG, they got to compete, it, it would be dead. Tomorrow right. the money would dry up, right? Yeah. I mean, there could be some small capital groups that have 200, 300 million, but you know, 200, 300 million dollars in an infrastructure, uh, like, like, it's nothing. It disappears really fast. It's nothing, yeah. you know. You, you, you need, you know, 500 billion, right? 600 billion to be invested, right? So we haven't seen that adoption curve or that maturity curve, uh, you know, grow in, uh, or you know, in, in a way that would allow this industry to really be competitive. Because of that, that shackles you know any kind of progress. Is that a national uh, issue, or are we looking at similar things globally, or are they completely different in other national environments? Well, it's uh, I, I think the uh, in China, you know, it's very very different because it became a national policy to in integrate renewables into uh, into the infrastructure, right? So the government made uh, almost over a trillion dollars in investment over five years, right, on the renewable space. Now they're pulling back, obviously, right. and yeah. because it was not sustainable, but they felt that if they basically put all that money in for five to ten years, they could really yeah, start a sustainable uh, industry uh, that uh, could basically propel itself to be the main source of generation, right? But it hasn't happened, even in China, right? Now they're going back to coal. <laughs> it's interesting, you know, they're, you know, coal imports had dipped, you know, for probably a few years in China, but now they're back up to the same levels uh, uh, that they were back in 2011. So uh, it hasn't worked there either. So you know, if we look at renewables, um, it really uh, now has to integrate. It can't be just solar. It can't be just uh, right. batteries. So that's where, the, that's where the software platform comes mm. in, uh, is, um, is how to actually make this pr pretty efficient, right? So the integration of different uh, resources, energy resources. Affordable resources. Right. So, it's, so that's where AI comes in, right? So you've got to look at consumer behavior, available resources, profitability, 
uh, all of that, right? right. And it's got, and you've got to integrate geography. that geography, <laughs> uh, yeah. even even regulatory environments, right? Yeah. Even regulatory environments, and, and these software packages that dispatch and tie in consumers to specific renewable energy sources. That that connection has to include all of these different variables. Yeah, and 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 the company that actually comes up with that is going to be the most successful one actually in the space. I think that's really where the value is. So just to, if I understood what you said correctly, there's these these right all these variables in a given area, whether it's regulatory, geographic, microclimate, uh, the actual pricing of fuels, behavior of the consumers, yeah. all that. How to actually combine that into one cohesive kind of strategy, right. that's where the opportunity is. A dynamic is. strategy, right? The dynamic strategy that changes, right? So it's, the strategy has to be dynamic. That, that is the strategy, is yeah. that it can't be static. This it can't be static. It's not a single policy exactly. or single wiring. It exactly. needs to be able to change over time because exactly. the, the resources are dynamic. Exactly. Exactly. I mean, the only thing non-dynamic about it, when and it is in a lot of ways, is the sun. You know the sun comes up in the morning and it goes, you know, it, it goes that high. But it could be a cloudy day, so there's even a dynamic nature to that, right? Yep. So uh, if, you, if, you, if I looked at this renewable space, that's the only thing I could basically consider <laughs> a constant, on. right? I know the sun will come up and I know it will go down, right? That's the only thing yeah. I can basically count as co consistent, right? Yeah. Everything else is just uh, uh, extremely variable on a real-time basis, right? So, uh, you know, tying into indexes on these commodities, natural gas, um, uh, you know, pancake charges, you know, I mean, you know, we, we, we importing energy across transmission lines and the, trans and the transit points and the congestion points, and you, you look at that, you know, time of use, all of those have to be integrated into this software platform that now is able to dispatch renewables uh, in a very efficient and cost-effective manner into the supply system, right? That speaks, not that, that you can take that and now you can speak directly to the consumer with that platform and say, this is how it works, right? This is how it can work for you. So that middle piece is completely missing right now. Right? Coming back to Hawaii, right? Do you see in the getting, do you see LNG as a good bridge fuel in getting us to more and more renewable energy adoption here to meet our state mandates? From your personal perspective, yes, I think I, I think it can, and and uh, so, and the reason why it can is the infrastructure in LNG is extremely um, uh, uh, extensive. Uh, it, you know, it's you know pipelines everywhere, uh, structured money behind it. You know, making a lot of money, right? Making you know huge returns on that investment. Uh, all of that drives legislation, and, 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 when, and legislation basically continues, and then in turn drives investment more, right? The, sooner, the more you legislate in that, that direction, the more money comes in, right? So first money in, and then you'll, you know, before you know it, you're, uh, you're continuing to draw on that, you know, on that source, right? So I think that money will flow into that space, and um, that will then still be the primary place to go for this transition from uh, hydrocarbon fuel to less polluting, right? It's How not, far it's not non-polluting, it's less polluting. So there, right? th this is an issue that's sitting right at the governor's, uh, squarely in the governor's race, right? right. I think it's at the Hanabusa? Uh, here, here in Hawaii. Yeah, yeah. and then Ige, and then yeah. there's kind of two different camps and two different perspectives. And of course, there's the LNG guys who've been lobbying yeah. at the Defense Resiliency Summit right. for the last five, six years, and that's they got right. all these amazing kind of tankers and these kind of systems yeah. that are like port-based, you know, deployment mechanisms yeah. and all that cool stuff, yeah. right? Yeah. They got these models, these yeah. beautiful models that are like 10-foot yeah. boats that are sitting in front of the conference, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. So, uh, uh, well, what about hydrogen? I mean, just we're, we're going we're to wrap up soon, so yeah. we get a little bit of the future here. How far are we out from, being, from hydrogen being an answer? No, it's, you know, all, all of these technologies are viable. And, and, and that's, again, my, my humble opinion, right? They're viable. I think what we have to look at is not their technical viability, but their commercial viability, right? And what happens with competing technologies, because the, the, the level of commercial viability hasn't been proven in the marketplace yet, is one tends to knock the other down in this competitive phase of their evolution, right? So it could be the most viable uh, technology, but just because of where awareness is and where, uh, where the money is and all that, uh, it can get knocked down by something that's uh, less viable. 
just because there's more understanding maybe on the less viable technology than there is on the more viable one, right? So we're still in that space where hydrogen can get knocked down by uh, battery thing or whatever the you know the technology, the competing technology is. So what? So I think right now it, it's good to actually have one te any technology emerge out of that batch into this uh, phase of being fully adoptable, whether it's hydrogen, whether it's basically, I mean, hydrogen is basically fuel cell, right? Um, you know, and, and yeah, w whatever the technology is, if, if more of these technologies, or one or two of them actually move into a fully commercially deployable stage, uh, where they're adopted either by utilities or counties or government, uh, local governments, I think that'll help. It's, it's better than keeping all of these technologies in this, uh, in this tank where they're just fueling for oxygen, where they're battling for oxygen, right? I mean, that's really what they're doing right now. I mean, they're just, there's, the, the money's limited, and when I say oxygen, really it's money, right? The money's limited, and they're all battling for this, and, and what you have is some of these technologies prematurely die, right, without really coming, um, coming to fruition. So anything that emerges out of that, in my opinion, is good, uh, because that just allows more visibility to what, other, uh, what else exists in that tank, and, uh, you know, more money can come in. Okay, that's, that's amazing, and maybe just as a closer, I wonder if, for the people that are listening here in Hawaii, throughout Maui, throughout the rest of the state, do you have a certain hope for Hawaii, given your experience here? Or do you have a certain message for them, that are the people that are tuning in? <laughs> I, uh, well, you know, Hawaii is, uh, you know, obviously the, the utility rates here are extremely high. You know, they're the highest in the country from, I mean, I don't know, I just saw some stats a few months ago. I was hoping the, the penetration of solar would probably change that statistic, but I think it's still the highest by far. It's going up right now. Uh, it's, go, it's going up. Yeah, exactly. There's a rate increase. Exactly. So it's going in the wrong direction. So I think um, the, uh, the move towards... Um, you know, community-based uh, re renewable uh, resource integration or central uh, resource integration could be beneficial for the for the residents of Hawaii, right, of the different islands. I think the the, the era where uh, you know we used to sell renewable energy and the viability of renewable energy around the kitchen table that era is kind of gone. I think uh, uh, and that sort of died, and it'll probably if it's not dead definitely be dead after this time of use uh, and you know uh, the 2.0 net metering and all those actually take full effect I think it, it'll die so you can't really sell this around the kitchen table anymore it's got to be basically something that's integrated into the into the rate uh, into the rate case uh, discussions at the PUC and it's got to be community based whether it's solar battery based you know storage based all of that you know, really at the community centralized uh, 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 approach may work uh, um, you know, uh, that so this is where the utility is playing a role in bringing in large renewable exactly. energy assets exactly. through one mechanism or another financially, exactly. Exactly. and then we're able to move towards decarbonization more and more inch exactly. by inch, exactly. rather exactly. than individuals saying, I'm going to put it on my house right away. Yeah, I, I think that's yeah. uh, pretty much, yeah. That's uh, an interesting perspective. Uh, okay, okay, okay yeah. But, uh, Excellent. Just my opinion again. Yeah. No, I love it. It's always a pleasure, DJ. Yeah, thank you so much. Yeah, uh, we've been trying us. to get you on yeah. forever. We yeah, actually yeah, did. Yeah, thank thanks. you. Yeah, thanks, thanks, Josh. And yeah, thanks, uh, appreciate it. Thanks, great. And uh, yeah, we couldn't be more uh, appreciative. And uh, yeah, thanks for playing tennis. Thanks, thanks okay. for listening to me. Let's go hit the ball around. Yeah, this is the Solar Coaster. Sponsored by Maui Solar Project, Tabuchi Electric America, Sonnen Battery, Pika Energy, and Sundrum Solar. Hey, folks, it's been a great show. Have a great weekend. Yeah, we'll have Friday.